Welcome back to a new episode of Paranormally Speaking. It's a new week and a new episode. I'm your host, Neil Parks. Hope you're ready for this one. Are vampires real? Facts, history, and where to find them. Vampires are literally everywhere. And I'm not just talking about movies, TV shows, and books either. Vampires, the kind that legends are built on, the kind that drink blood, can be found worldwide. The blood drinker is the one found in six of the seven continents. There's not a a doubt at all. Jonathan Weiss, folklorist, historian, and founder of Jonathan Weiss Tours in New Orleans, told Today, So, are vampires real? It's possible. According to Weiss, vampires exist in different forms, in different cultures and countries. But the concept of blood-sucking creatures, like the ones we dress up as on Halloween, have been around for centuries. If you strip down the folklore and just come up with a standard set of facts, vampires are very real and could be actually real, in fact, Weiss said. That said, there are people who drink blood just like vampires but don't panic for the most part they're not the sort to roam the streets looking for unsuspecting victims like they do in horror movies and novels to get the truth about vampires ended up going straight to the experts and what they told me might just change everything you thought you knew about the undead for starters the history of vampires The idea of vampire-like creatures feasting on human blood has been around for centuries and gained foothold on Eastern Europe, according to Joseph Laycock, a professor of religious studies at Texas State University. And while vampire folklore isn't new, the word vampire actually is. It first appeared in the writings in 1700s by Laycock. But Laycock told, Today, The term was used to describe price-gouging merchants rather than blood-sucking monsters. In 1819, vampires became mainstream when John William Polidori wrote The Vampire, a fictional story taken from the story of Lord Byron. It's the first of its kind to make vampires seem aristocratic and seductive, not like Byron himself. Nearly 80 years later, Bram Stoker published Dracula, based on Vlad the Impaler, the real-life Romanian prince with a thirst for blood and warfare. Stoker's Count Dracula is a far cry from Byron's sexy, womanizing vampire. He has hairy palms, and he has bad breath, and he's more like a corpse, Laycock said. In modern-day vampire folklore that most of us relate to, comes from the 1931 film Dracula, starring Bela Lugosi. And while Bram Stoker gets a writing credit, the film is actually based on a 1920s stage play adapted from the Bram Stoker novel and not the book itself. Famous vampires in pop culture. Bela Lugosi's Dracula set the bar for all other vampire movies. The black and white movie established Dracula as a wealthy, debonair vampire whose immortal kiss is desirable instead of deadly. For most, uh, the most part, it's how many people perceive vampires today. Since then, however, there have been plenty of vampires in books, movies, and TV shows to feed our appetite. Bram Stoker's Count Dracula remains the most enduring. And in 1992, the most, uh, this book was made into a film starring Gary Oldman, Winona Ryder, and Keanu Reeves. The Lost Boys is another cult classic, 
both terrifying and campy. The 1987 film is about a gang of murderous vampires that take over a fictional California beach. Then there's Anne Rice's novel, Interview with a Vampire, which was turned into a big screen feature in 1994 and caused quite a stir after Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt were cast as beloved vampire characters, Louis and Lestat. Along with the serious and scary vampire portrayals, we've also seen a lot of funny takes on these blood-sucking creatures. There's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the 1992 film about a teenage vampire hunter. It was eventually turned into a long-running TV series with Sarah Michelle Gellar playing Buffy, which was far superior to the movie. The 2014 mockumentary, What We Do in the Shadows, chronicles the lives of vampire roommates and their mundane battles over whose turn it is to take out the garbage or throw away dead bodies. In 2019, the movie was turned into a TV series with the same name. You didn't think that I would forget about Twilight, did you? The best-selling Stephanie Meyer book series about a high schooler who falls in love with a vampire went on to sell hundreds of millions of copies. In 2008, the first of five blockbuster movies based on the book series was released, leading to a whole new generation of vampire Orwell, Edward Cullen fans. So are vampires real? If you consider people who drink blood of others for pleasure, then the answer is yes. In 2015, a survey conducted by the Atlanta Vampire Alliance, yes, that actually exists, found that there are at least 5,000 people in the United States who vampire, vampire, who identify as real vampires. Although many people with blood fetishes actually call themselves sanguines. Others identify as vampires and, like the fictional creatures, avoid sunlight and drink human blood from donors. Psychic vampires feed on in a completely different way. They steal the energy off the living, Weiss said. Some people just don't create energy that people normally make for themselves. As a result, they take it from others who feel complete. Colin Robinson from What We Do in the Shadows made psychic vampires more relevant in pop culture, although not all psychic vampires can deliver deadpan humor and corny jokes like he can. Where and how can you find vampires? Blood-drinking vampires can be found on six of the seven continents, according to Weiss. Seems to be a worldwide thing, and there are different forms of different cultures in different countries. While it's hard to know exactly where vampires live, nearly everyone agrees that New Orleans is as good as a place to start. The idea of vampires in New Orleans is a very, very old concept, Weiss said. Believed to have been built on cursed ground, New Orleans has long been known as a city steeped in mysticism, voodoo, and the occult. For that reason, Weiss says it makes sense that vampires, or at least the idea of them, could take root and find fertile ground to grow in New Orleans. New Orleans is also the backdrop of Interview with a Vampire, which Laycock says had a huge influence on vampire soap culture after its release in 1976. I always say New Orleans smiles at you, but never shows its teeth. Because if you saw its teeth, you'd probably never come back, Weiss said. Computer, X 
execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to Geico. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Hey, thank you for waiting during that abrupt commercial that just sort of popped up on us. There was a 700-year-old skeleton from Sozopol, Bulgaria. It was found with its teeth removed and stabbed through the chest with an iron rod. Scholars suspect the townspeople did this to ward off vampires, a very real fear in Europe for over hundreds and hundreds of years. The bloody truth about vampires. Vampires are fodder for books and movies, Halloween costumes, but for hundreds of years they were scapegoats for disease and murder. There are still people to this day who belong to vampire cults, vampire religions, vampire coven, if you can call it a coven. That's normally just delegated to witches, but I guess there's a vampire coven as well. I'm not sure if they claim to have magical powers or can cast spells. It's hard to tell. I do remember hearing stories many years ago. Um, I'm a graduate of Ohio University. That's in Athens, Ohio. And there was an alleged vampire cult that roamed the tunnels beneath the train tracks. Now, why there are tunnels beneath train tracks or what the tunnels connected to, my anyone's guess. Could it be connected to the Underground Railroad? I'm not sure. I never looked for these tunnels. No one seems to know where they're located. But everyone had a story about vampire cults that would meet and roam the tunnels at night and feed off of prostitutes or homeless people or someone whose vehicle is broken down, hitchhikers, name it. This went on from the 60s and still to this day, people talking about vampire cults that roam the streets of Athens. And crime is not really high on the statistical table of Athens, Ohio. Not a lot of murder, not really a lot of homelessness, not really prostitution unless it's connected to like human trafficking i don't know but the traits of modern day vampires are pretty well established they have fangs drink human blood and can't see themselves in mirrors they can be warded off with garlic or killed with a stake through the heart a wooden stake through the heart some like dracula are aristocrats who live in castles but vampires didn't start out so clearly defined Scholars suspect that the modern conception of these Halloween monsters evolved from various traditional beliefs that were held throughout Europe. These beliefs centered around the fear of, well, the dead. Once buried, could still harm the living. Often these legends arose from a misunderstanding of how bodies decompose. As a corpse skin shrinks, its teeth and fingernails can appear to have grown longer. As an internal organ breaks down, a dark purge fluid can leak out of the nose and mouth. People unfamiliar with this process would interpret this fluid to be blood and suspect that the corpse had been drinking it from the living. Bloody corpses weren't the only cause for suspicion. Before people understood how certain diseases spread, they sometimes imagined vampires were behind the unseen forces, slowly ravaging their communities. 
The one constant in the evolution of Empire Legend has been its close association with disease, writes Mark Collins Jenkins in his book Vampire Forensics. Trying to kill vampires or prevent them from feeding was a way for people to feel as though they had some control over the disease. Vampires in Europe. Because of this, vampire scares tended to coincide with outbreaks of the plague. In 2006, archaeologists unearthed a 16th century skull in Venice that had been buried among plague victims with a brick in its mouth. The brick was likely a burial tactic to prevent Italian vampires or witches from leaving the grave to eat people. The strega, that's what the Italian vampire is known as. Not only uh, all vampires were thought to physically leave their grave in northern Germany or after devourers stayed in the ground chewing on their burial shrouds. Again, this belief likely has to do with the purge fluid, which could cause the shroud to sag or tear, creating the illusion that a corpse had been chewing it and had popped up out of the grave and fed on the living. These stationary... Madagascars were still thought to have caused trouble above ground and were also believed to be the most active during outbreaks of the plague. In the 1679 tract on the Chewing Dead, a Protestant theologian accused the Nakserher of harming their surviving families through occult processes, which is what connects vampires to the occult and to demonology. He wrote that people could stop them by exhuming the body and stuffing its mouth with soil and maybe a stone and a coin for good measure. Without the ability to chew, the tract claimed the corpse would die of starvation. Sounds more like what you would do with a zombie. Tales of vampires continued to flourish in southern and eastern Europe in the 17th and 18th centuries. To the chagrin of some leaders... By the mid-18th century, Pope Benedict declared that vampires were phallus fictitious of human fantasy. And the Habsburg ruler, Maria Theresa, condemned vampire beliefs as superstition and fraud and equated it to stories of demonic possession. Still, anti-vampire efforts continued, and perhaps most surprisingly of all, one of the last big vampire scares occurred in the 19th century New England two centuries after the infamous Salem Witch Trials. From the old world to the new, in 1892, 19-year-old Mercy Brown of Exeter, Rhode Island, died of tuberculosis, then known as consumption. Her mother and sister were already dead, and her brother Edwin was sick. Concerned neighbors worried that one of the recently deceased Brown women might be harming Edwin from the grave. When they opened Mercy Brown's grave, they found blood in her mouth and her heart, and they took this as a sign of vampirism. Though they didn't call it that, the neighbors burned Mercy's heart and mixed the ashes into a potion for Edward to drink. This was a common anti-vampire tactic. The potion was meant to heal him. Instead, he died a few months later. This wasn't an isolated incident. Folklorist and Food for the Dead author Michael Bell estimates that there are 60 known examples of anti-vampire rituals in the 18th and 19th century New England.
and several others elsewhere in the country. These rituals were most common in eastern Connecticut and western Rhode Island, says Brian Carroll, a history professor at Central Washington University who is writing a book on the subject. Carroll believes these anti-vampire rituals were introduced as a medical procedure at the time of the American Revolution by German doctors who worked for the Hessen forces. Because of this, he thinks the New England vampires were based on the German Nakazir. Unlike blood-sucking Romanian vampires, New England's vampires stayed in their grave, harming the living through more sympathetic magic from afar, he argues, like emotional vampires, energy vampires. Bell, however, believes anti-vampire practices in New England came from many places that the suspected New England vampires were actually more akin to Romanian vampires than the Nak Zahir. Like Romanians, New Englanders were looking for liquid blood in the vital organs, not evidence of shroud chewing. He says the anti-vampire remedy of cutting the heart out, burning it to ashes, and giving the ashes to the sick person or the sick people was also practiced in Romania. Whatever the sources of these beliefs in New England, they were driven by the same social concerns as those before them, a fear of disease and a desire to contain it. Please hold for an important message from one of my sponsors. Unparalleled insider access. Get it all. Introducing the SiriusXM Platinum VIP plan. Our newest, most exclusive plan. Listen in two cars, plus stream anywhere with two app logins. Access a massive, exclusive library of live concert video and audio recordings through nugs.net. Have opportunities to experience live and virtual SiriusXM events, including VIP-only exclusives. Get all your questions answered by a dedicated VIP customer care team. Plus, get all the entertainment we've got. It's all included with your Platinum VIP subscription. Be a VIP. Call 844-711-8800 to learn more. Offer detail supply. One login for activated vehicle. Not available in Canada. Now that I've discussed all of the history of vampirism post-vampire, during the vampire panic in New England, vampires were finding a new role in European books like The Vampire, 1819, Carmilla, 1871-72, and Dracula, 1897, as well as in vampire-themed plays. Though drawn from folk legends and past vampire scares, these aristocratic sexual vampires are more like the vampires we know today. Vampire panic died down in the 20th century as these fictional monsters replaced folk beliefs and as med medical knowledge improved. However, there was a strange resurgence in the 1960s when Sean Manchester, the president of the British Occult Society, said that a vampire was causing people to see strange things in London's Highgate Cemetery. Newspapers had already covered reports of a tall figure with burning eyes and other spectral sights floating in a certain cemetery, and journalists quickly picked up Manchester's theory that these sightings were the work of an Eastern European vampire. Newspapers even embellished his claims a bit, calling the figure a king vampire, or writing that the vampire had practiced black magic in Romania before traveling to London in his coffin. In 1970, 
Manchester told a TV news team that he planned to exercise the vampire on Friday the 13th. That night, hundreds of young people turned up at Highgate Cemetery to see him perform an exorcism, which he ended up not doing. The Highgate panic wasn't a case of vampires being scapegoated for disease, but rather a media sensation and an instance of legend tripping. Young people going to a supposedly haunted place to test their bravery, much like paranormal investigating. In the history of vampire legends, the Highgate incident is a modern phenomenon. It has less to do with the desire to control a community's health and a lot more in common with modern scares, like the creepy clown sightings that went viral in 2016. Even if people don't believe it, they still are drawn to the hype. And that is what connects us to the vampire legend and mythology and to the occult and possible demonic influence. What a list I have compiled here of different demonic entities, names, locations, ages, uh, basic information of the types of demons, which I call the complete guide to demons in the underworld. One of the most common ways the types of demons are classified in the study of demonology is by domain. When types of demons are classified by their domain, the demons are attributed to a specific activity such as mortal sin, knowledge, questionable behavior that some people may be prone to, or certain misfortunes, sickness, or addictions. Each demon within its domain has its tasks and abilities according to their authority, and each demon interacts with humanity in their own unique way. Uh, different uh, various ways that different types of demons have been classified by domain through the ages. Uh, the list that I have uh, of general demon names, if uh, that is what you're looking for, that, of, that of course, uh, what is a demon to start off with? Before we get started... The definition of a demon according to Webster's Dictionary, a demon is an evil spirit or devil, especially one thought to possess a person or act as a tormentor in hell. Types of demons. It is important to note that all of these different classifications for the types of demons below are based upon the Western view that the demon is a fallen angel cast out of heaven by God. The devil or Satan will always be on the top of these hierarchies. Also, do not try at any time to communicate or summon a demon in any way, shape, or form. You will not have total control of these entities, and they are dark, ravenous beings that want nothing other than to consume your soul. Demons in the Testament of Solomon. King Solomon purportedly wrote one of the earliest works in Western culture, where types of demons are classified by domain. The Testament of Solomon, in this piece, King Solomon describes his interactions with Beelzebub and other demons who he enslaves to help build his temple. The book also contains numerous rituals and sigils that are still used today to conjure demons. Demons listed by Seleucus in the 11th century, Michael Seleucus attempted to classify types of demons by domain. The type of demons that Seleucus divided demons into were Imperial, which uh, fiery, Aerial, subterranean, Lucifugius, which is uh, heliophobic, uh, Equios, and 
terrestrial. Demons listed by the seven deadly sins. Deadly sin number one, pride, the lantern of light. An anomalous English Lillard tract often attributed to Wycliffe was also known, unknown at that time, a work that is now believed to be written by Wycliffe himself. The book categorized types of demons based upon the seven deadly sins. These types of demons that Wycliffe used would be later found in the books by John Taylor, the water poet. St. Catherine of Siena attacked by demons, deadly sin number one. Deadly sin one is demon Lucifer. Deadly sin number two is envy, Beelzebub. Number three, wrath, Satan. Number four of the deadly sins, sloth, which is Abaddon. Deadly sin number five, greed, which is Mammon. Number six, the deadly sin and the demon for gluttony is Belphegar. Number seven, the deadly sin of lust is Asmodeus. Spina's list of demons inspired by different legends and stories of his time, Alsfonios de Spina, in 1467, classified demons by incubi and succubi, demons that have sex with the living, demons of fate, otherwise known as the angel of death, wandering groups or armies of demons, otherwise known as legion, familiars, which are animal spirit guides for witches and warlocks who are considered personal demons. Druids, in German folklore, it is an evil spirit that causes nightmares. Cambions and other demons that are born from the union of a demon with a human being, which is also Nephilim. Mischievous demons, which are imps, worker demons. I've encountered many of those upon investigations. Demons that attack clergy. The exorcist is a prime example of that. Demons that entice people into the occult and witchcraft. Bensfield's types of demons. In The Prince of Hell by Peter Bensfield in 1589, different types of demons again are classified by the seven deadly sins. The only exception is that the names of the demons are slightly different than Lantern of Light. Number one, Lucifer is pride. Mammon is once again greed. Asmodeus is lust. Leviathan is envy. Beelzebub is gluttony. Satan is wrath. And Belphegor is sloth again. The King James Bible's version of demons. Several years prior to the King James Bible, in 1591, King James wrote, Demon Ologerg. Demon Ologerg separates demons into four types based on what that devil causes torture on the living and the dead. Spectra, in the modern world, referred to a haunting, spectra or spirits of the dead that haunt places or objects. Obsession, ghosts or spirits that haunt people. Possession, demon or spirits that take over the actual body and soul of the living, and that only happens to the willing. Fairies, spirits or demons that give advice to the living. They commonly live within heavily wooded areas and places of enchantment like Ireland and Scotland. Types of demons, according to Michaelis, types of demons that Sebastian Michaelis has in his own book, The Admirable History, were given to him by the demon Berith. When he was exercising a nun, his classification system is based upon the sin 
the devil tempts the living to commit. First hierarchy, princes of fallen angels. Beelzebub, the demon that tempts men with pride, is opposed by St. Francis of Assisi. Leviathan, the demon attempts people to give into heresy and is opposed by St. Peter. Asmodeus, the demon that tempts men into wantonness, is opposed by St. John the Baptist. Berith, the demon who tempts men to commit murder, is opposed by St. Barnabas. Astaroth, the demon tempts men to be lazy, opposed by St. Bartholomew. Verine, the demon tempts men with impatience, and he is opposed by St. Dominique. Grizil, the demon tempts men with impurity, opposed by St. Bernard. Son Elan, the demon tempts men to hate, and he is opposed by St. Stephen. The second hierarchy, of course, demons of powers, dominions, and virtues. Cariul, the demon of powers, and is opposed by St. Vincent and Vincent Ferrer. Carnival, this demon tempts men to obscenity and shamelessness, and he is opposed by John the Evangelist. Oilet, the demon that tempts men to vow of poverty, is opposed by St. Martin. Rosier, a demon of dominions, this demon, he tempts men against sexual purity. He is opposed by St. Basil. Belias, a demon of virtues, this demon, he tempts men with arrogance and women to be vain. Raise their children as want as wantons, and Saint Francis de Paul opposes gossip during Mass. And there's a third hierarchy, and it's pretty much the same as the first and second hierarchy. Not a lot changes between those three variations. Now the nine types of demons, according to Francis Barrett, and Francis Barrett's books, The Magus, uh, written in 1801, offered this his classification for types of demons. Beelzebub, the keeper of false gods, demons of false idols and prophets. Pythias, spirit of lying, the demon of liars. This must be the demon that possesses Donald Trump. Belial, vessel of iniquity, demons of evil things. Asmodeus is the demon of wickedness. Satan is the imitator of miracles, the demon of witchcraft. He's the author of confusion, of course. Miriam. He has aerial powers and also is the demon of pestilence. Abaddon Fiores is the demon of discord. Asteroth Calminators is the demon of inquisitors and fraudulent accusers. And Memon Malageni is the demon of tempters and ensnarers. And that is a list that I felt needed to be shared. It's kind of like a Walk down the book of Genesis lesson for you today. This is exactly why they call me preacher when I'm at the Mothman Festival and various other conventions and festivals uh, doing lectures and speaking because I tie in a lot of spirituality and historical knowledge, uh, both world history and biblical history, into my teachings and what I write about and talk about. Thanks for hanging out with me this long. And now, a word from our sponsor. Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. Well, thank you, and that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed all the research I had to do. 
in order to present a more clear and vivid concept and idea of what vampires are truly all about. Join me next week for more strange and unusual that is provided by Paranormally Speaking. I'm your host, Neil Parks. Have a great rest of the week. And please make sure to not invite vampires into your home. They could feed on you. And there are energy vampires that drain you of your life force as well. Keep your eyes peeled and have a great rest of the week. Thank you. Thank you.